Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. When you think of Christmas, what specifically brings you joy? Um, you know, now that we are, you know, two weeks into December, right? We are halfway. So now that you have, you've been eating cookies, you've been listening to music, you've probably been watching movies, you've decorated your house, like all of those things. Like when you think of Christmas, what brings you joy? Like I'm all about Christmas and like the warm and I love the warm and fuzzy feeling of Christmas. I love the music and I love time with family. I love traditions. All of that wrapped in, you know, brings me a, a certain joy. You know, one of the things that we love to do, and I don't know if all families have these traditions that they like to do, is one thing we like to decorate the tree, like together as a family. So we get the tree set up. My job is to get the tree up, the lights on it, and then we get all the ornaments out and over the years, since all the kids were little, we have taken the ornaments out and we have like spread them around the room. And actually, we divide them up for each kid that they get their own ornaments. And some of those ornaments, you know, are like, you know, like when they made them when they were so young, you can't even really tell what it is. Like the writing is bad or, you know, or it could be a picture or anything like that. So what my wife has done this year, we, we split up all the kids and we and remember, all my children now are grown, so, and gave them all their ornaments and then kind of passed them out one at a time. Now, each ornament, like, has a memory to it or a year or something like that to kind of, and I think that that was so special. It brought me joy to, like, see that as we talked about the memories and, you know, what year it was and all of these special things. But it wasn't always like that. See, this originally was a battle in our house because when we divided the ornaments up, Seth had an ornament that was by far, like, I'll just show you this because this encapsulates joy. This is the, right here. So it's terrifying, isn't it? So this ornament, he actually would want to put, when he was younger, in the middle of the tree. So he would set it right in the middle. And um, all of the siblings then would be like, nah, it's not staying there. And then they would, they would hide it and, like, put it around the back. And then he would get upset, and he would go find it, and then he'd put it back on the front. Well, this became like an ongoing thing, and it's actually become a tradition that's kind of passed down that this ornament right here is going to haunt us forever and ever. Um, But those kind of things bring me joy. You think about these traditions and other things uh, like that, like hot chocolate cookies and the tree decorating and all these are good, but when we talk about like joy, like we need to kind of think like what. What is the purpose of why we're doing these things? Because I believe that there's a deeper joy that comes from that. If you think about joy, there's everlasting joy, right? Uh, An overflowing, you know, we've sang about that today. And then there's like a fleeting kind of joy. And what's the difference between the two? Um, I I did some uh, research on the top 10 favorite things about Christmas. And I talked to the youth about this actually a couple weeks ago. And if you go to the top 10 website, they calculate all this. I don't know if they send out surveys or what. And there was a top 10 countdown of the favorite things about Christmas. And there was great things in there. There's like family, food, music, decorations, all these things. And you get down to two, number two and number one. Number two was Jesus' birth. Number one was presents. And I've read that, and I'm like, oh, and like you just, you feel that tension because that is what we've come to, this idea that Christmas is about presents. But there's so much more. There's so much more. Now, 
See, I'm torn because I like presents, and I love, even since I was a kid, I've loved, I was the kid who would stay up, and it'd be like two in the morning, I still can't sleep because I'm like, I'm ready to get up in the morning, and I'm going to tear through some presents, and I got some new stuff that I can't wait to get, right? And we'd get up, and it would be a great Christmas morning, and, but this, the, the joy that you get from that, I would say, is the fleeting joy, See, in our family, we do, I try to do a dad gift. So a dad gift is a gift that, because I think the, all the kids, even now at their age, get something that is, you can play with. Like, who, you know, you get socks, and okay, that's fun. But then you open it, and you're like, okay, well, you need something you can play with. Like, on Christmas Day, let's do something. And so over the years, it has been different things that I've, we've invested in to try to have fun together, like either games or, or different things. And I was going through the closet this past week, and there was actually, uh, and I remember this, battle bots. Like, and this wasn't that long ago. This was like three years. Like, you're thinking of the kids are like this. No, they were like this when we bought this. Battle bots where they could play, and there was little robots that they would battle each other. And for that day, that brought us joy. That was fun as they battled each other. But I saw that box and I realized after that day, we packed that up and we didn't touch it since. And it's still in the closet. That is like a fleeting joy. It was fun for a time, but not the kind of everlasting joy that we want to talk about today. We sing about it and today we uh, sang um, joy to the world, right? And why joy to the world? Uh, is it because there's good food? Is it because we get lots of stuff? No, because the Savior is come, right? What a wonderful thing. And now, I didn't grow up in church, and this song kind of popped in my head, and I want to see if you recognize this. I got the joy, 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 joy. You guys are good. Down in my heart. That is everlasting joys. What is that talking about? It's down in my heart, right? That is what we want to talk about today. Uh, so today, as we go through Luke 1, uh, we see a beautiful, this is a, just an amazing story, a narrative that we go through about Mary and her conversation and what happens when she goes to visit Zacharias and specifically Elizabeth and what that looks like. Um, and we see the anticipation of Jesus' birth. And really, that is what Advent is all about. Uh, we see how much joy this narrative brings and how throughout it, their joy is mentioned uh, quite a few times. So much that Mary can't even control, like she praises because she has an overflowing joy. Um, so just to review just a little bit, so where we are in the Advent series as we have gone through, we're continuing uh, in the looking forward to the arrival of Christ, as that's what we talk about when we talk about Advent um, and his birth. Last week, uh, Raleigh discussed peace. And the big idea last week was without Jesus, peace with God is impossible, he is the only way for us to have peace. Um, and in the conclusion, um, Raleigh concluded with this thought. This Christmas, celebrate the peace we have in Christ. That is so good. That is where we should have our focus, is the peace that we get in celebrating Christ. So this week, we go from peace to joy. And we understand that transition. Um, we can understand the peace we have because of uh, because of Christ, but then what? The joy we have is because of the peace that we get. Um, we will look at Luke 1 to see that, how the anticipation of this new baby, actually two babies, um, and the miracle of those pregnancies bring joy. 
And so much joy that Mary gives this beautiful praise to God that as we go through it, we will learn and see what real joy, real praise looks like. Um, So what's our big idea today? Our big idea is this. Anticipation of Jesus' birth brings joy. Anticipation of Jesus' birth brings joy. Um, And that is what Christmas is all about. And we have to boil it down. True joy, deep and everlasting joy is the anticipation of Jesus' birth, right? So as we break down this text today, we will see so much joy. And hopefully you guys will be able to say, okay, that is everlasting joy. And that is what I need to seek. So to understand where we are in the Gospel of Luke, just to catch you up just a little bit, there is, uh, so before we start the Gospels, right, what has happened in history? So there was 400 years, God had been silent, right? There was no speaking, no prophets of saying anything. And for 400 years, there was silence, spiritual darkness. So what happened? God ends this silence with an announcement from the angel, uh, Gabriel. First to Zacharias. So Zacharias, he was a priest in the temple, and he was considered righteous. Now, him and Elizabeth were older, right? Um, We think maybe 60s or 70s, but they were past the age of having children. And um, Luke says that they were advanced in years, which is a nice way to say that they were old. Um, And if you think about it, this was a reflection back to uh, Abraham and Sarah, who And God chose to work in that way, too. And we see the similarities because what? Who gets the glory for this miracle of these births when the the couple is old like this? It is God. God gets the glory for it. Um, So Zacharias and Elizabeth had a baby, John the Baptist. Uh, Now, because Zacharias didn't believe the angel or he questioned him, He's actually made mute, so he could not speak, um, and he was unable to speak until he was given his voice back after he named John, as the angel had instructed him. But originally, Zacharias didn't have the best reaction here. Um, So six months later, after that, we see Gabriel visits Mary, who was a young girl, about 13, 13 to 16. We really don't know the exact age and told her she would conceive through the Holy Spirit. Now, if you just think about that for a second and how amazingly crazy that would be to get that kind of news. She was given instructions to go to see Elizabeth, her elderly cousin. So God used this family to work his plan. So Mary was obedient. She had the right reaction to what the angel had instructed her to do. Uh, And that's where we begin our text today. Two women pregnant by God's miracles after 400 years of silence. This is how God chose to move. And he was done being silent. So there was unbelievable joy in the anticipation of what God, God was doing here. The wait was over. The anticipation of Jesus' birth brought joy that we will see today as we go through this text. So let's start in verse 39. We're going to do verses 39 and 40 first. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, thinking about the timeline here, now Mary went with haste, right? So that means she got the news. That means she went right away. She went with haste. Now, remember, it's unbelievable news. So you would think, well, she wants help. She's going to follow instructions. She's going to go. Um, she wanted support in this and what she was uh, being told she needed to do. 
So Elizabeth was six months pregnant, and then Mary stayed with her for three months. Now, we think that Mary left before John the Baptist was born, but she stayed three months. Um, says that they went, they lived into, or she went into hill country. So we don't know exactly where that is. Some people think it's Hebron, um, but they were country folk. So it was about six, 50 to 70 miles uh, between Nazareth and where uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were. So it was about a three-day trip. So if you look at that, this was a major trip for Mary to do. Now, we don't know whether she went alone or if she went with somebody else, but that kind of shows her maturity in what she was doing and that she was able to survive and, and make that trip to go see them. So it says she entered the house. Now, you might just like read right past that and not even like really think about it. She entered the house, and I want you to think about this, because up until that moment, she hadn't been confirmed in what the angel had told her. So she entered the house, and immediately she saw Elizabeth, who was six months pregnant. So you can imagine what she thought when she saw Elizabeth at this point. So she entered the house. So this was the moment the promise was, what, confirmed. It was confirmed to her when she saw Elizabeth. She knew what was happening to be true. Uh, So what do we see here? We see joy from promises fulfilled. Joy from promises fulfilled. The promise from Gabriel that was given both to Elizabeth and to Mary were miracles that happened. And we see joy from this, that the miracles, that these promises were fulfilled. And Mary saw it to be true at that moment when she entered the house. So let's look back at the promises that were given to them. So Luke 1, 13 and 14. This is the angel talking to Zechariah. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Do you see all the mentions of joy there? This is the promise from Gabriel. So Elizabeth had conceived a son, and then God was moving. The promise was fulfilled. Luke 1, 30 through 33, this is the angel talking to Mary. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give, him, give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. What a promise. Could you imagine 13 to 16 years old getting that kind of message? It would blow your mind. It says there that he, was, he is to be called Jesus, which translated as God saves. God saves. This greeting, when she uh, got there, uh, likely meant a conversation about what had taken place, right? It wasn't just that they said, hey, hey, you know, it wasn't like, and that's what I kind of thought when I read it. I was like, and they greeted each other, and then all of a sudden this happened. But this greeting in the translation, as you kind of look at that, is more like a conversation about this is what has happened. This is what is going on. And, um, and this is what Mary's perspective here, if you think about it, See, Mary was going to face social pressure, right, and judgment for what was going on. We hear the story. We don't think about that. Like, she has been told this news, and she's like, oh, no. What are people going to think about me and what, I, and what I'm going to face? She was an unwed, pregnant, young woman. 
She would be looked down upon. She would be shunned, shamed. But Mary was comforted by seeing Elizabeth, seeking comfort and advice from her, what, elderly cousin. Because if you think about Mary's situation, who would believe her? Like, if you think about how crazy it sounds, like, so an angel came to me and said, I'm going to be pregnant, but it's the Holy Spirit, and so I'm going to have a, a, a baby, and he's going to save the world. People would be like, what are you talking about? So who would believe her? Elizabeth would believe her because she came before and she was pregnant. So in God's plan in this, he worked it out where he was sent Mary to Elizabeth. God knew that Elizabeth's pregnancy confirmed to Mary that God's promises were being fulfilled. And there was what? Joy because of that, because of these promises fulfilled. All right, let's go on to verses 41 and 42. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, when Elizabeth heard the greeting, so it was a conversation, she knew what was going on. John leapt, right? So you see movement here of John the Baptist, who is a baby. Um, Now, movement in a baby is common, right? Mothers can feel movement in their belly with the baby, but this is something more that we see here. Um, now, if you think about it, and this is so interesting, John was al- already working as a prophet in the womb. He was already doing his job as a prophet, coming before Jesus by leaping in the womb, because this was a confirmation to both Elizabeth and to Mary and what happened. So she was overcome by the Holy Spirit because he leapt, exclaimed with a loud cry. What? A blessing to Mary and a blessing to Jesus. So what do we see here? We see joy from God's plan. We see joy from God's plan. Specifically, the plan he put in place with Jesus coming, right? But John coming before him and what that looked like. John the prophet is already leading the way here. And we see what? The Holy Spirit gives joy. So if we look in Luke 1.15, now this is back when um, Zechariah was being told about his baby. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. You see right there, that's the promise that was confirmed. The angel told him the Holy Spirit is there, even in the womb. God's plan was to have John make the way for Jesus. Um, He confirmed it to Elizabeth and to Mary. So later on, if we go in the Gospel of John, uh, after John the Baptist is involved in his ministry, we see what happens here. John 3, 28 through 30. says, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. So him talking about his role here with Jesus. I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. You know, what an amazing statement. You see humility here and John the Baptist understanding his place and purpose in what God is doing. Um, This beautiful picture of the one who has the bride is the bridegroom right? So who's the bridegroom? That's Jesus. Who's the bride? The bride is the church. Who is the friend of the bridegroom? 
That's John the Baptist. He classifies himself as the friend of the bridegroom in this scenario. And then he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. That wonderful humility that he has there. So we see a humbleness about John, and we also see a humbleness about Elizabeth. Um, you know, she could have been like, hey, I was pregnant first here, you know. I was the first miracle, you know, 400 years of science, and look, it's all, you know. But she was not like that because she understood her role and her place here and what was happening. And you could see that she was overcome by the Holy Spirit. Um, so just like John goes before Jesus, Elizabeth also goes before Mary. Cel- there's this idea of celebration. What a gift and what an honor this is that, that she expresses. So God made a plan with these two babies, with these two miracles. So we see joy from God's plan. Christmas is God's plan carried out. I want you to remember that. Christmas is God's plan carried out. That is what we celebrate. All right, let's go on. Verses 43 through 45. She goes on to say, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Notice, leap for what? Leap for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You see this from Elizabeth, this praise and humility about her and her attitude here. And that God would use her. Like She's like, why me? Like, and you see that clearly in the text. Now, she acknowledges, mother of my Lord. Now, this is a huge statement to realize what she is saying here. So she's saying, mother of my Lord. She acknowledges what? That he, Jesus, is the Messiah. So that is what she is saying there. And she's saying, mother of my Lord. So that is a big statement. Now, what I want you to know is it does not say mother of God. It does not say mother of God. Nowhere in Scripture does it say mother of God. This is an idea that distorts, it misrepresents who Mary is. Um, There's a confusion there because what? Well, God, we know God is eternal, right? We also know Jesus is eternal. We've seen that in Scripture that he was there in the beginning. So we see the honor that Mary has here that she is giving birth to Jesus in the flesh. So she is the mother of the Savior, the mother of the Savior. Elizabeth... She was just amazed to be a part of this. And you can see that in what she says here. And why is this granted to me? Like, I don't deserve this. Why is this, why is this granted to me? So what do we see here? We see joy from being used by God. We see joy from being used by God. Elizabeth was honored and humbled to be used in this way. She even says John leaped for what? Joy in this process. So if we go back to get Elizabeth's um, attitude on what she thinks about her role in this process, we can see in Luke 1, 24 and 25, it says, After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now, when you read that, it's kind of hard, like, what? She went and hid herself. Like, when you first read that, you might think, well, she was ashamed that she went and hid herself. Well, no, the more I studied, I realized that that is not what is happening here. She is overjoyed, and she is worshiping. So she is going to spend time alone 
with God. And that is what she's doing. She's worshiping that, worshiping him. And it says, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So what is she saying there? Her reproach among people. You see, unfortunately in that time, if you could not have a child, you were looked down on. And up until this point, she hadn't had a child. Well, God has blessed her with the gift of birthing John the Baptist and took away her reproach and gave her the honor and the privilege of being a mother. So God used her, and she was amazed by this. In God's plan, he uses us, broken people, to bring about his purposes. Now, if you look at Elizabeth and you even look at Mary, imperfect people, and you see this all through Scripture, all through it. God uses imperfect people to bring about his plan. And guess what? We are a room right now, right here, of imperfect people, all of us. So guess what? There's hope. All of us can be used by God. Ordinary, broken people. He can use each and every one of us. So Elizabeth was also overjoyed. Why? Because Mary believed Now, if you think about it, there's a contrast there to Zechariah, because guess what? Zechariah didn't believe, so we know what happened to him. He was made mute, so we see that she is overjoyed, because why? Mary believed and was obedient in what she was to do and followed the instructions to go see Elizabeth. Um, So Mary is overjoyed, right? She's filled with joy. Well, what happens at this point? So she praises God for verses 46 through 55. Now, this is called Mary's Song of Praise, or the uh, Magnificat, um, which means what? What is Magnificat? That means to magnify, to magnify. And we sang a wonderful song today um, about this that was taken directly from the Scripture. You don't know how many times I've sang that song and been like, man, this song is good. And then all of a sudden I'm here in the song, and I'm like, wow, that's from the Scripture. So I really love that song. And we got to sing Joy to the World, all about joy and what that and what that looks like. So Mary is overjoyed with this. And when we look into this and we study her, her praise here and her song, there's a correlation to Hannah's song in the Old Testament. Now, Hannah's song was also about uh, the miracle birth, uh, that she was able to have a baby, uh, Samuel. Um, and also there is a 10, at least, I think 10 different references to Old Testament scripture here. So I want you to realize this because I didn't realize this until I began to study. We see a maturity in Mary and who she is, right? She knew Old Testament scripture. She knew Hannah's song. Like, she knows theology. She understands what's going on here. Mary knew what was happening and what was going on. I want to go back and just read just a little bit of Hannah's song. 1 Samuel 2, 1 and 2. It says, and Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your, what? Salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. You see a praise here about her situation and her circumstances that is similar to Mary and what she is saying. Hannah's song is more about triumph from enemies, whereas Mary's song is more about uh, humble contemplation and God's mercy in that. And there's a messianic because of who she knows Jesus is in this, in her, in her song. So 
Mary knew her scripture. She was mature. She was, that should encourage women. That should encourage all of us when we, when we see who Mary was and what, how God was using her. So let's go through Mary's song of praise here. So verses 46 and 47. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, my soul magnifies, right? Uh, magnificat. That is exactly what it's talking about right there. So it says, my spirit rejoices. That's the joy. And why? Why does she have that joy? Because God, my Savior. God, my Savior. So how do we see joy here? We see joy from salvation. Joy from salvation. She knew that she needed a Savior. She knew it. Like, she understood, if she knew the Old Testament, she knew there was a Messiah that was to come, and she understood it. Now, we sing one of my favorite songs every Christmas, and maybe it's one of your favorite songs, is Mary Did You Know, right? Mary Did You Know, and we've done it here on Christmas Eve, and I love it. But as you're reading the text today, you can confidently say, did Mary know? Yes, she knew. She absolutely knew who Jesus was. You see her education and how she understood by how she gives her song and the references that she references. So there was a joy from salvation. She knew she needed Messiah. She knew she needed salvation. Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. You see another picture here of a bride, a bridegroom, and what this looks like. But I love the way Isaiah here is talking about, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. What a beautiful picture. And he has covered me, right, with the robe of righteousness. This is a beautiful picture of Jesus and the church. This is the gospel, being covered with uh, garments of salvation, covered with a robe of righteousness. We need salvation, all of us. You know, every, every time we get up here and every time we're going through a message and we're, and we're talking about it, we want to be clear about the gospel, right? Because that is why we're here. And we see this need for salvation. All of us need salvation, every person in here. And why is that? Because of the fall. We look back and we see because of disobedience, the sin entered, right? And we became separated from God. Not only were we separated, the Bible calls us enemies of God. So each and every one of us, we can be as good as we want. We can try. If you've seen kids, you know we are sinful, right? And there's only one way that we could come back to our relationship with God, and that is salvation. That is through a perfect Savior who is sinless and lived a sinless life, went to the cross as a sacrifice, died, was buried, and rose again, defeated death. He is the reason that we can have salvation. So he draws us, God draws us, we have to surrender to him and believe. That is the gospel. So I would question, is that where you're at today? Have you believed? Have you surrendered? And is he drawing you to him? Mary understood the weight of this, and it brought her joy. So I would ask, how about you? Do you have joy thinking about salvation? 
So let's continue to read through Mary's praise. Verses 48 through 50. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Now, there is a clear attitude that we see here from Mary in what she is saying. She, in her praise, it is, uh, she says, the humble estate of what? His servant. We see that uh, there is a lowly social position that she is talking about here in who she is. And we see in this attitude coming through. She is in awe of God, the mighty one, and his care for the lowly. We see that this humble, undeserving mercy that God gives, and she is reflecting that through her song. So what do we see here? We see joy from undeserving mercy. Joy from undeserving mercy. Mary is a humble servant. You can see the humility here. Now Mary has been elevated to a holy deity status in the Roman Catholic Church. And unfortunately, and you know what, I grew up thinking that way because if you just watch media or all this stuff that, you know, that reflects the Roman Catholic views, it's like Mary is this holy figure that, that you pray to. Like you see that she is, she is a humble servant here. If you are going to pray, you pray to God the Father in Jesus' name. That is who you pray to. She understands she needs a savior. Um, I, I read this thing in John MacArthur this past week that he said, Mary would be appalled. Like, I thought that was funny. If she knew how many people were praying to her. Why? Because she is a humble servant. And that is not her role. God chose to use her and she is blessed, is what she says. She is undeserving and God chose her. That gives her joy right? It is joy from his mercy. It is joy from his mercy. Um, Psalm 138, 6, we'll see here kind of the reflection of where she kind of gets the same language from. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Once again, this idea of his love for the lowly and what that looks like. Um, Remember, we don't deserve his mercy. Um, if you go to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, one of my favorite verses, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is what? A gift of God, right? I can't earn it, you can't earn it, it's a gift. What is a gift? That is God's mercy. That is his mercy to us. It's his mercy, what? For generation to generation. And that is us today. Also says, for those who fear him, which is a a place you should check your heart. Like when I read that, I'm like, okay, do I fear God? Like on a regular basis and how I worship him and what I do, do I have a reverence of his power and who he is? We all should come to God with a reverence to who he is. Um, So I would ask, do you have a reverence to God? 
So joy from his mercy, just like Mary, she is a humble servant. Remember, that is the picture that scripture tells us of who Mary is. She is a humble, obedient servant who is worshiping with all of her heart here. So let's go on. Verses 51 and 52. It says, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Now, if you read the rest of Hannah's song, um, both Mary and Hannah uh, rebuke the proud in what they're talking about here. And it's a continued contrast of the lowly and the mighty and what God is doing here in his justice and how he, his will will be done. Um, so what do we see here? We see joy from God's sovereign control. Joy from God's sovereign control. God's justice will be done. And I love what it says there in Scripture that he has shown strength with his arm. Now, if you think about what a, a picture that is, why, why an arm? Because you do things with your arm. It shows motion and it shows that he is actually, that he is doing something with his strong right arm. Um, so Psalm 98.1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. His right hand and his holy arm. Once again, that same language. This idea that if God is in control, he brings down the mighty and he exalts the humble. It's like turning society upside down, the, the, uh, the, the order of society upside down. And we see that constantly. That's what Jesus came to do, right? To be a servant. To be a servant. Psalm 75, 6 and 7. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. He is in control. And you see how Mary draws from this, how she is saturated in this uh, text and in the Psalms, and she knows um, this idea. He is in control. Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. There, that text is specifically talking about Jesus. But look at what it says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all of these ruling things that he is talking about, Paul is talking about. He's saying what? God's in control. He is over them. God is an active and personal God. And that should give you joy. That should give you an overflowing joy. He is not a God who steps back, is not involved. And he is in total control. A lot of times we don't understand it. When things don't seem right to us or we're like, why is this happening? But we should take joy and comfort in knowing God is in control. We may not understand it, but we need to surrender to it. Trust in his will, trust in his justice. And that is so hard for us. A lot of times when people sin against us or do things against us, what? We want, we want, we want payback. We want to give them what they deserve, Right? But we know that God is the one who judges. We are called to love and to be an example to others. God is the one who judges. Joy from God's sovereign control. All right, let's go to the last section here, verses 53 through 56. 
says, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now, this is a continuation of what she is talking about. It's the same thing. Provision for the lowly continues in what she is saying, and she is praising God for it. But she adds something else in here that is extremely important. She brings in Israel. So talking about Israel, he has helped his servant Israel. Now, this is in fulfillment of his what? His covenant, his promise to Abraham. To what? To make a way. Jesus is coming. There's a Messiah coming. And God fulfills this promise. He is always faithful. I tell you, Israel screwed up over and over and over and over again. But God was always faithful to them. So what do we see here? We see joy from God's faithfulness. Joy from God's faithfulness. God is faithful. And he sent his son, Jesus, as God's plan for salvation. If we go to Psalm 107.9, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Once again, another psalm showing what God does. The same kind of language. He satisfies the soul with good things. Isaiah 44.21, Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel. For you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. He will never forget. He is faithful. And we should hold on to his faithfulness. As we studied Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 23, um, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So this idea of us hold fast to the confession what of our hope without wavering. What is our hope? Our hope is in Christ without wavering. For he who promised is what? Faithful. He is faithful. He's immutable. His promises do not change. He does not change. And that is a faithfulness that should bring us joy. So will this faithfulness end? No. Over and over again. It is forever. And she says that right there in verse 55. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever by what he has done. And the angel talks about this is forever. This is faithfulness that will never end. So just like Mary, our joy should be found in his faithfulness. And uh, that is what Christmas shows when Jesus came in the flesh. God was faithful. He was faithful in what he was doing. God is faithful in his promises. All right, so as we have gone through this, I hope that we have seen the worship from Mary and your attitude and how you look at Mary is different today. We see an outpouring of real joy from Elizabeth and from Mary in what what this is. It's the anticipation of Jesus' birth. And we've seen joy from what? Promises fulfilled. Joy from God's perfect plan. Joy from being used by God. What a joy that is, that each and every one of us can be used by God. Joy from salvation. That is huge. Joy from God's undeserving mercy, from his sovereign control, 
and God's unending faithfulness. All of this should be our main focus when we're thinking about overflowing joy. We have seen the joy expressed from Mary in her humble worship to God, and that is an example to us and how we should worship and what we do and what we say. So what is our next step? Our next step today is find joy in your worship to God. Just like Mary, when she worshiped, there was joy. But first, following Mary's example, you got to surrender. Now, when the angel came to Mary, was she was obedient. So if you're here today, you do not have a relationship, you need to surrender. You need to surrender. Follow Mary's example of worship. You know, joy is the result of worship. And you think about this. If you go about your day and you're like, oh, my day, I'm getting up, I got to work, and, blah, 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 and there's, no, there's no joy, I'm not joy, I'm not joy, I'm joy, and the, everything stinks, right? There's no joy, right? But it's impossible not to have joy when you worship God, when you put into perspective what he has done. And all of a sudden, everything, your perspective changes, and that is when you worship. When you worship, you will have joy. I guarantee it. If you come and you sing music, even like the songs that we sang today, Joy to the World, like that should make your heart come alive. If you're reflecting on God and what he has done, worship will bring you joy. Christmas is all about worship. That's what it is. It's all about worshiping. So celebrate what God has done. Your joy in Christmas should come from worship and what God did, what? Through Jesus, through Jesus. The birth, just the beginning, just the beginning. So where do you find your joy this Christmas? Traditions, I love them. I think they're great. Ornaments on a tree, eating together as a family, going to see Christmas lights, watching Christmas movies, all of these things can bring us joy. But I want you to dig deeper into why we celebrate this season and what overflowing joy looks like. And we see that through Mary and Elizabeth today. So adjust your focus back to our perfect God, who through his plan, what, sent a baby who would make a way for salvation. That is what Christmas is all about. That is everlasting, overflowing joy. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today just thankful. We're so thankful for the text that we can dive into your word, Father, and see this beautiful narrative, see this beautiful story that you have laid out for us through Luke's gospel. And Father, what a blessing and an example Mary is and Elizabeth is to us as we have read through this today. Father, we want to be humble servants also. Father, you have blessed us in so many ways, and we see that this season is all about worship and worshiping you because of what you have done. So, Father, we are so thankful that you have made a way, that you have sent your Son so that we will have a way to be connected to you, Father. And I pray if there's anybody here who has not surrendered to you, Father. I just pray that you draw them close to you. I pray that you are moving in their hearts, and I pray that they will believe, and I pray that they will come to know you. Father, we're thankful for this time together that we can come together as a church body. 
as a family and celebrate this time of year. And Father, I just pray that we always focus on what's most important. So Father, it is you. So we're so thankful. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.